Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca Elsalois. And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Before we begin releasing new content for the spring semester, we wanted to once again release a couple of episodes featuring student content. The next two episodes will feature content by Baruch College students from the fall 2022 semester. The courses represented in the content we'll be sharing today come from LTS 1003, Latin America and Institutional and Cultural Survey, and LTS 3012, Latinas, a Social and Cultural Survey. For these classes, and the classes that will be represented in the next episode, we each offer students the option of completing a podcast episode for their final project. Other options might include a paper, a video, a website, or a social media-based project, depending on the course. Since students are assigned to listen to podcasts throughout the semester, they grow accustomed to what they sound like, and it helps them plan out how they want to present their own research in this medium. For some of these students, creating a podcast was something they had never done before, and we're proud of them for stepping outside of their comfort zones and trying something new. At the end of the semester, we asked students who submitted a podcast episode for their permission to share their research in this platform. The students you'll hear from in the following two episodes are those that gave us that permission. Their work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. We have not edited them for content. Their work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. We have not edited them for content. In this episode, we feature projects by LTS 3012 students Edith Valerio, Roxana Escamilla, and Nina Rodas, and LTS 1003 student Michelle Kozinets. First, we'll hear from Edith, who speaks about the struggles of being both a full-time student and a full-time worker. Edith herself identifies as both of these things and wanted to explore the effects of doing both on the mental, emotional, and physical health of students who are also full-time employees. This will be followed by Michelle's exploration of mental health awareness and treatment for women in Latin America. She considers how physical issues such as gender-based violence and varying degrees of abortion access can lead to mental health issues. The third segment features Roxana, who discusses issues related to Latina body image. She investigates the struggles and pressure that Latinas face to live up to certain body image standards and the effects of the family and media on those insecurities. We wrap up this episode with Nina's exploration of Latinas who do not speak Spanish. She argues that just because someone does not speak Spanish doesn't make them any less Latina. She elaborates on some of the other ways in which people can participate in culture beyond language. So with just those brief introductions, we'll now let the students speak for themselves. Please enjoy their analyses and discussions. Good morning, good evening, and good night, everyone. Welcome to Edith's podcast. Today, we will be focusing on the topic of Latina full-time students who are also full-time employees as well. I myself decided to talk about this topic because I myself am am a Latina student and a full-time employee as well. So there's a lot of stuff that I would like to unfold and kind of 
shed light on, especially if it's about education and focusing a lot about sacrifices and specifically sacrifices about your mental, emotional, and physical health because a lot of the times when you're balancing two full-time positions, especially if it's education and work balance, it's a lot to handle. You, you feel burnt out. You feel like no one is helping you. You're running around, going from school to work, work to school, work to home, home, school. It's a lot to kind of deal with by yourself, and I completely understand, which is why I am kind of emphasizing on the more sacrifices but also what you choose to do with your free time because a lot of the time what happens is people think that latinas just aren't motivated enough to do anything but the real life of reality is just there's just no resources and i just want this podcast to kind of enlighten and kind of motivate other latina girls who are thinking oh maybe i can't work full-time or maybe i can't work at all during school but in reality you can and you will you just have to understand the sacrifices that have to be made in order for you to be successful i really don't understand why a lot of especially men think that a woman can't do both at once i get a lot of compliments on when i do it both at once but at the same time it's kind of like matthew is doing the same thing so why is it different that edith is doing something as well Alright, so let's just start this conversation a little bit off. I wanted to start with the mental sacrifice of being a Latina full-time student and full-time employee. Um, a lot of the time, there's not much Latina women who obtain any type of degree even finish high school. My mother's an example. She kind of dropped out by 10th grade and we kind of had to like pick up the slack after we finished high school because she's like, listen, I didn't finish, so you guys have to finish. So that's kind of like another mental burden sacrifice you have to kind of swallow but i've been reading into articles and i found this one article that's called a look at degree attainment among hispanic women and men and how covid19 could deepen racial and gender divides this is by anthony marshall jr and the quote that i would like to focus the majority on is the fact that it states the percentage of white women with a bachelor's degree is almost higher than the percentage of Latinas with any type of college degree. It's also higher than the percentage of college-educated Latinos in general. And although not many Latinas are offered the same resources as white women, our future generations to come will see that we, Gen Z specifically, pave the way for them to kind of fight against these racial and gender disagreements and we kind of just want to open this up for more kids who think that school isn't worth it because a lot of that topic that kind of topic of conversation is pretty difficult to have but it's, it's also kind of very important to understand that the feeling of discouragement is easy to fall into but us as latina women have to work through those trials and tribulations the mental sacrifice made for getting a degree will not only affect you but the little latina girls looking for a role model to kind of look up to and say hey this one girl i went to high school with she finished college and she kind of she's going through it she was coming to school crying but she finished and it's kind of like if she did it why can't i and i feel like not only does this mental sacrifice affect you but it's also the everyone the environment that's around you so now moving forward to the emotional sacrifice of a latina being a full-time student and full-time employee is 
having to balance that school and work and absolutely trying not to show that you are feeling overwhelmed, stressed, burnt out, overstimulated because there's just not enough resources to assist young working adults, especially, especially Latinos. I feel like a lot of the time I kind of had to just come and crush for myself and kind of pat myself on the back and say, if you're doing okay, you do, you're doing amazing. You might feel like you're not doing enough. You might feel like you're doing too much, but I promise myself that I'm not gonna stop until I finish. And I feel like a lot of the time, this emotional sacrifice is kind of difficult to speak up on because you don't want to seem weak. You don't want to seem as someone who's complaining or you're not, you don't want to seem as someone who's looking for sympathy or, or pity. That's never the case. A lot of the cases just us thinking that we can handle it by ourselves when we really can't. So another source that I found for this emo- this um, emotional sacrifice is by an author named Patricia Sanchez. And it, the article is called The Absence or Presence of Parents in New York City. The Absence of Flexible School Programs for Working Teens and Norms Surrounding Adulthood. A lot of the time, this absence of parents not knowing what to do when it comes to FAFSA and when it comes to applying to colleges and loans that can be extremely overwhelming and it kind of puts you in this corner of i want to go out of my way and feel how the world feels but i also don't want to burden my parents pockets you know what i mean many communities need to fix this problem especially in the minority neighborhoods some of us had to be adults before we considered being in school like a lot of the time I myself thought I just had to work to get the bills done because I would see that the rent was due. And a lot of the time, my mother would be like, you need to go to school. And I'm like, yeah, but the bills need to be paid as well. I've seen also how poor my school was and how little resources we had to kind of give us college prep. So I took it upon myself to look for college prep classes that benefited me. And thankfully, Lehman College was one of those colleges that offered me credits and i also put my other friends on who are ecuadorian like majority were latino majority black students and we all kind of just went after school straight to lehman and kind of got our education and it's kind of like that was the sacrifice of dealing with high school work and then we just decided to just go to lehman a whole college university to kind of get a bigger education and kind of give us credits to kind of have our extra foot in the door i feel like living in New York City will reveal the best and worst parts of the education system. I believe that if you really want a degree, you're gonna have to speak up and step out of your comfort zone to see yourself flourish. Now for the last topic, which is the physical sacrifice of being a Latina full-time student and full-time employee, is that your physical appearance will also influence you from picking your dream school. I was born and raised in the Bronx and I definitely wanted to go to a HBCU in Washington DC, Delaware, anywhere else but New York, but I realized that I've heard reviews from Latinos who go to HBCUs or predominantly white universities and they do not have fun. They always say they had to change their clothing, their hairstyle, their their food, the way they speak and I just myself could not deal with that kind of sacrifice because I was just so used to and accepted by my own community with the way that I speak, the way that I dress, and the way that I act, especially at Baruch. Baruch took me with open arms, and I feel like a lot of the time, full-time students, especially Latinos, don't think about who your classmates 
are because they think that this is high school and in reality a lot of the time racist white students will speak up about how they don't like latinos and i feel like that's something that you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself for an article by melissa martinez is called considering the role of family plays into Latina high school and college student choices. The quote is, yet some students can experience tending to choosing what college to attend. When it comes to their own college aspiration conflicts with their cultural and familial beliefs and practices, like we just said, there's that sacrifice of kind of like, I'm so used to eating chicken, rice, and beans every day, but now I have to go to a predominantly white college where they give like fruit and salad and it's kind of like i need some kind of seasoning i need some i need my mother's food and you cannot get that when you go away to college and i feel like a lot of time people lose weight or they gain weight and that's when you're gonna have to just sit there and be like i don't know what i'm doing right i don't know what i'm doing wrong but i feel like this all falls into the idea of you should always follow your dreams and also take your dream college's diversity percentages into consideration you might think everyone is just like you but once you settle onto campus you'll see who attracts you and who don't and i feel like that's very important because i don't want especially latina young women to think that it's their fault when it's not at all it's never their fault you should never change your appearance just to be accepted you know what i mean HBCU colleges and Latinx communities have been pushing for minorities to get an education in a space where everyone around them looks the same. I like, like a lot of Latino scholarships and a lot of Latino colleges, Dominican colleges, majority Dominican students who don't have a high school degree and they just got a GED at the at the country and it's kind of like this this type of program, this type of resource is what pushes us to continue and kind of finish us with an education that we've always wanted. So kind of wrapping up this podcast and ending with a banger and a conclusion, I kind of want to emphasize on the idea of being a Latina woman is already a part of a sacrifice made daily. And achieving an education is a bigger sacrifice. A lot of people don't want to see us win. They think that we can't handle it. They think we can't understand it, but in reality, we can and we will. I've grown so much and everyone around me has seen the difference in me since I've stepped into college. I may not have the the best resources as, as a high school student or I made of my school maybe was poor, but I did skip lunch to do research on how to be successful. And that was by taking college prep classes to gain credit. So I don't have to take those classes in college and it benefited me in the end because now I'm graduating on time with no limitations or any other classes that they think that I won't pass, but I passed them with flying colors. The evidence used were surrounding the idea of low resources in minority neighborhoods and shedding light to colleges and their diversity and comparing the percentions of Latina and white women obtaining education. I feel like this is another thing that a lot of educated Latina women don't consider. It's kind of like, oh, I'm the same as her when it, it's never the same. It's never ever the same. And I feel like a lot of time when you compare yourself to another white woman who is a full-time student and a full-time employee, you kind of see how the difference of burdens that we carry. Like as a Latina, you might have to think about the burden of, oh, my mom is going to want me to do this, or my mom is going to want me to do that, or my parents going to want me to do this, or my work is going to want me to do that. When white people kind of just, not to 
not to kind of point fingers but it's all kind of laid out or they kind of get this second chance of like okay you can you can turn this in another time or you can do whatever you have to do first and then come reach out and a lot of lat- a lot of latinas don't have that opportunity deciding to obtain a degree comes with sacrifices and being a latina woman means making bigger sacrifices because you're not only to get an education you're also making your money for yourself and your family it's not just about education at this point it's about who you are and how others will perceive you i will either see you as a regular spanish girlfriend in nyc just trying to make it out or trying to live or I can see you as a Latina woman who's getting her education, is trying to get herself out of the environment that she is and trying to do something for herself. Then a lot of the time, what happens is a lot of us, especially minorities, we get comfortable with the bare minimum. And that's why I want to kind of emphasize on the, yes, these are all sacrifices. Yes, you may feel burnt out. Yes, you may feel stressed. But at the end of the day, it will come into light and you will grow and flourish into the Latina woman that you are. That's it for this podcast. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me here. See you guys later. Peace. All around the world, there is a constant number of people who struggle with mental health. Hi, I'm Michelle Cousins. For my final project, I will be talking about how mental health affects women in Latin America. Specifically, the impact to be confronted with unsafe events, such as abortion rights, gender-based violence, and how no proper treatment can lead to mental health deterioration in Latin American women. These issues are impacting the way society is acting and being portrayed as. People should shed more light onto the issues concerning mental health. For the most part, people in Latin America see mental health as taboo. These problems are unimaginable and should not and could not be shared with others. A large population tries to deal with these problems themselves. People in Latin America do this because they do not believe in the new tactics and think that they are not helpful. Of course, people are always going to be scared of the unknown. One supporting factor that affects mental health are abortion rights. Women get a lot of opinions from other people on their reproductive systems rights through society. As seen by Andre Saj Kolsayaki, I'm sorry, I probably mispronounced that. In the article, Abortion in Latin America, Changes in Practice, Growing Conflicts, and recent policies development. It quotes, Access to safe abortion services has never been straightforward in Latin America, particularly for women who are poor. Most countries allow abortion only when a pregnancy threatens a woman's life or physical health. Several ban it entirely, even for health-related purposes. 
Progressive times means that people can fight against these mindsets and can argue for more resources at hand. So that women and girls aren't forced to have these children. There are so many detrimental effects to forced pregnancies. These women and girls might not be able to to care for these or be capable of taking care of the kids physically, mentally, emotionally, or financially. That's not a world to raise a kid in. It's not stable enough for them, and it's not stable enough for the parents. Women get a lot of violence from society. This, this ties into mental health because it can lead to anxiety, PTSD, depression, and overall fear for their physical well-being. To highlight the statistics from Tamar Diana Wilson in the article Introduction Violence Against Women in Latin America, it shows that 80% of women admitted to be psychologically abused, and that's only reportedly. 40% have and or are dealing with physical violence. 13% have severe injuries from their physical violence abuse. And 40, 48.5% have been raped by their partners. That's almost 50%. Each person has their own way of coping with these situations. These things happen to women because they are seen as weaker or less than men. Men do it so that they stay in power. They want to be superior, whether it be at work or at home or just for show to other men. Furthermore, in Gender-Based Administrative Violence as Colonial Strategies by Elena Ruse, it states, There can be no doubt Latin American women have been and continue to be terrorized through numerous forms of violence at many different scales, including femicide, forced disappearance, rape, and other socially institutionalized forms of violence. People were so obsessed with the idea of having these kids that they didn't step back and think of the well-being of both the mother and the child because that's the way, quote, it's supposed to go based on traditional perception. Also portrayed by James A. Mercy in the article Violence and Mental Health Perspective from the World's Health Organization, World Reported on Violence and Health, it mentions that each vital act affects the victim and standby witness mental health. These acts are deeply embedded in people and is a consequence on their psychiatric state. 
it can be proven that women are more prone to being in these situations than men. However, every situation is different. Every person responds and has different triggers to these types of situations. In the Latin American region, there should be more mental health plans. They should be more prepared for traumas like these based off of new advances in science and technology. In the article, The Restructuring of Psychiatric Care in Latin America, A New Policy for Mental Health Services by Isaac Lavrov, probably mispronouncing that again. It quotes, It is estimated that the percentage increase of psychiatric disorder in Latin America and the Caribbeans will be higher than the percentage increase of the general population. It has been estimated that about 88 million persons will be evidence some emotional disorder by the beginning of the new century. The Latin American regions needs to take into account mental health issues, just as much as physical health. People need to express themselves and feel every emotion to do that. They need to have a stable mental health. Having mental health issues leads to having scars, whether it be mentally or physically, from the event or events, are influential to everything you do after. The, the people of Latin American region, there should be a step in a more developing time for resources. Everyone has their own opinion on how to deal with mental health. Taking a woman's right to do what she wants to do with her body is inhumane. Dealing with the side effects of gender violence is traumatically deteriorating. Not having proper treatment for these concerns are harmful for everyone. Overall, women's mental health should be seen as more of a priority. It should affect the things you do and every action because that's what the mental health issues do. They affect every single outcome that you make. Thank you for listening. Living in a Latino household, have you ever been asked about your body appearance or have you been compared to other Latinas? Latinos can be very judgmental, especially when it comes to talking about a Latina's body. Latinas struggle with their body image and are pressured to live up to beauty standards. Uh, many Latinas have been told, don't wear that, why do you look like that, you should look like this instead, which leads to many Latinas having insecurities because they struggle with their body image. Uh, media plays a big role in how Latinas view themselves and Latinas 
compare themselves to other women. Uh, many Latinas have gone through body image problems. And a reading from the book Hijas Americanas, which is by the author Rosie Mulleri, um, she interviews more than 500 Latina women who have struggled with their body image, as well as standards of beauty, ethnic identity, and sexuality. Um, this is a quote from the book uh, called Hijas Americanas, which the quote starts by saying, My mother was always trying to put me on diets or give me diet pills, says Lola, a Mexican-American from San Antonio, Texas. At age 34, she still grapples with her own beauty perceptions. Um, in this quote specifically, Lola's mother wants uh, Lola to look a certain way. And um, often daughters at a really young age are put onto diets that aren't necessary, which because they were put on those diets at a young age, uh, their daughters, in this case Lola, um, thinks bad about herself and questions uh, her own body image. Um, growing up, I had a cousin who went through exactly the same problem as Lola. At a young age, she her mom put her in many, many diets. And at a young age, I obviously did not know why her mom was doing it. But as I got older, I realized it's because her her own mother, my aunt, did not like how her daughter um body was like like she was chubby and short and she wasn't slim or skinny nothing at all and her mother wanted her to be uh skinny and slim um another quote from the same reading um hijas americanas um it says 21-year-old Alyssa, who's Puerto Rican and Cuban and grew up in North Carolina, had negative feelings about herself during teenage years. Uh, she says, I didn't look like girls in magazines, which is how I wanted to look. So um, in this case, Alyssa uh, compares herself to people on magazines, which because she is comparing herself to people on magazine, um, this leads to her being disappointed in herself because she doesn't have the body that other people, especially in people in magazines, have. Um, this can also lower her own self-esteem because she thinks that her body isn't the way it is um, in magazines or it's not the way that it should be looking like. Um, another thing is that Media influences women to think about their own body image. So media plays a big role in how a uh, woman's body should look like. Um, in a reading uh, titled No Ugly Woman, Concepts of Race, Beauty, and Among Adoles Adolescent Women in Ecuador, which is written by Erin Messi de Casanova, um, she writes, idolized images of beautiful women are a major factor affecting young women's personal ideals and body image. Other influential factors include peers and family and the perceived preferences of the opposite sex. So especially in the world and the time that we live in, uh, media has become something that uh, people need every day. And because media has uh, been an important thing in everyone's daily lives, 
um, many celebrities uh, post the pictures or post the selfies and things like that. And it shows how they're skinny and how many people, especially Latina, want to look like that. Latinas look up to celebrities, sometimes even idolize celebrities because of the body that these celebrities have due to the fact that celebrities are always posting pictures um, with other celebrities when they go out, when they're partying, even if they're just having like a lazy day at home, they're often seen as skinny which um, this affects Latinas because, as I mentioned before, um, media plays a big role in how women want to look like or women think of how their body should look like. In another quote by another reading, which is titled Brown Beauty, Body Image, Latina, and the Media, um, the author in this reading, Milton Stokes, uh, says cultivation theory can now be applied to body image issues. Most media images of women demonstrate an unattainable standard of thinness. Um, while reading this, I personally believe that there is no such thing as being thin because everyone has their own definitions of what thin is and how it looks like. Uh, therefore, I feel like the media creates the idea of being thin as something that is manageable. And because media creates the idea that it's manageable, um, many Latinas want to look um, skinny or want to look slim or want to look thin. Um, which leads to the next point, which is um, Latinos often um, like to compare themselves to other women because of the insecurities they have, because they might not look like other women. And because they don't look like other women, Latinas themselves don't appreciate their own body. In a reading uh, called In Search of Belonging, Latinas Media and Citizenship by Jillian Baez, um, Jillian interviews a 23-year-old Regina who is Colombian and Jillian asks as Regina what should the perfect body look like and which led to the following conversation so Regina said tanned a portion of the portions of a nice body boobs and butts um Jillian responded with, okay, and Regina kept mentioning um, a very tiny waist and tall, tanned, nice hair and a big smile. The color of the hair, I don't think it matters, but I think most of it is straight. Jillian questioned straight and Regina responded with, most of the time, but definitely one of the most important things is being tanned. And that, and that's what pretty much what defines a Latina. Latinas from countries who are tanned. So, um, this is often, um, like a, uh, like I guess the standard of what, uh, many people think of what a Latina should look like, which is often with straight hair, just like Regina mentioned, or tiny waist, tall, tanned, nice hair, and just like Regina said as well, a big smile. Um, 
I feel like Regina's saying this, sometimes she wishes she was that because um, many Latinas can have curly hair, not necessarily straight. And most of the time, people who have, um, women especially, women who have curly hair want straight hair and women who have straight hair and uh, who have straight hair often want curly hair which is sometimes a dilemma within the person itself because sometimes they might be hiding who they are and aren't really showing who they are. Um, which, because Regina mentioned these things, uh, I feel like she would she wants to be like one of like one of the like the Latina that she described. Um, another quote that I want to mention is from a book called Sizing Up Years. Adolescent girls' weight control and social comparison in the school context, uh, which states prior research has found that girls gather information on peer values, ideals, and behavior, and they then use to judge their bodies and decide on weight control behaviors. Um, I've seen this a lot while I went to middle school and high school, um, especially sometimes now being in college. But um, it's a very, I guess, normal thing for girls to often ask their friends if their body looks good in certain um, clothing and certain pairs of jeans. And sometimes the friends answer. um, And it's sometimes not the answer that the girl asking is looking for, which the girl who asks the question of how does their body look in certain pieces of clothing, that girl compares herself to other women who she might think wear that piece of clothing better. So for instance, if a girl um, wears always loose um, jeans or with with, um, the flare at the bottom and it's always a thick girl who wears those type of um jeans a girl who is skinny might not uh feel the same way or might not fit in the same way in those pairs of jeans because um if the girl is skinny she might have skinny legs and um oftentimes um the jeans itself won't look good on the on the on the girl so that then leads to the girl comparing herself to the other girl as um that she's not good enough for those pairs of jeans which leads me to finally concluding and stating that latinas have insecurities because they struggle with their body image um media plays a big role in how latinas view themselves and they often compare themselves to other women Overall, women are always put under the impression that they have to look a certain way, that they should dress a certain way, and that they should live up to beauty standards. Um, This leads to Latinas having low confidence within themselves, and very often they want to change how they look. Latinas struggle with their body image. Personally, I've always struggled with my body image since I was a child, but I came to the realization that I don't care what others have to say about how I look. I only care how I feel in my own body. And as long as I feel good, then that's all that matters for me. No one is ever alone when it comes to Latinas feeling bad about um, about their own body. 
um, I feel like all Latinas have gone through a similar situation or have at least questioned their body. And no matter what, Latinas will find a way within themselves to feel good about their bodies and appreciate the, the body that they have. Hello, my name is Selena Rodas, and welcome to my final project podcast. When tasked with analyzing a topic related to the Latina experience, I knew I had to tackle Latinas in language. So let's dive right in. Latinas that do not speak Spanish are no less Latina. There are more ways to participate in culture than language. Food, traditions, music, and art are just a few ways Latinas get to participate in our culture. In order to understand why not all Latinas speak Spanish and other ways one might express their culture, let's first take a look at the state of Latina people and language in the United States. A Pew Research Center study found that nearly 70% of second-generation Latinos in the U.S. are bilingual, but fewer than a quarter of third-generation Latinos speak Spanish. Many third-generation Latinos do not speak Spanish even though their parents and grandparents do. Susan Gamboa, Sandra Lilly, and Sarah Callan found that 94.4% of Latino youth under 18 are U.S. born, and over half of Latinos under 18 and roughly two-thirds of Latino millennials are second-generation Americans, born in the U.S. to at least one immigrant parent. While this insight is helpful, it does not tell us why more and more third-generation Latinas do not speak Spanish but I was able to find many of the reasons why when I reflected on my own experience. I do not speak Spanish, but I grew up in a household with a father who was fluent in Spanish, so I decided to ask him why he didn't teach me and my siblings the language. His answer was simple, convenience. My mother does not speak Spanish, so my father figured it would be more convenient if the whole household spoke one language. Many parents face discrimination for speaking Spanish and were taught that they needed to learn English and don't want their children to face the same ridicule. Parents also want their children to integrate into society well. We also have to consider the fact that many parents are born in the U.S. or moved to the U.S. when they were so young that they no longer think in Spanish, and teaching the language to their children is more of a task than it was for their parents. Some children also refuse to speak Spanish with their parents. In the book, For Brown Kids Who Can't Speak Spanish, Willie Palomo writes, In first grade, I hated speaking Spanish to my mama. I applauded myself for correcting her English. I was the only one of her three children who didn't need to attend an ESL class. My parents were so proud. Paloma's writing describes the experience of many children of immigrants and shows how the English language is tied to pride in the United States, as opposed to the shame that is tied to speaking Spanish. It is also harder to keep a language alive when you do not live in a community with many people that speak the same language. And even when you do have a community around you that speaks Spanish, that community often criticizes those who do not speak Spanish, quote unquote, properly. All these reasons lead to the feeling of wanting to belong. In Jennifer Bondi's journal titled, Hybrid Citizenship, Latina Youth and the Politics of Belonging, when students were asked to speak about their experiences as Latinas, one student said, they think Mexicans and Hispanics. When you see a Hispanic, it clicks right away. Oh, immigrant, invader. Even if you're born here, you say Hispanic and people think immigrant right away. It is very human to want to fit in. And when you feel like an outsider or invader, you do everything you can to change that. 
which leads to a loss of language. But with the alignment of one group comes a disconnection to the other. Growing up as a Latina that does not speak Spanish leads many people to feel like they aren't quote-unquote Latina enough. In Edwin Flores' article titled, Latino but not fluent in Spanish, the litmus test still plagues many, he writes, Academy Award nominee and Afro-Latina actor Ariana DeBose recently told Lin-Manuel Miranda in a video interview that she didn't feel she could represent Latinas in West Side Story well enough because she wasn't a fluent Spanish speaker. She even turned down auditioning for four times. Feeling like you have no ties to your culture because of a language barrier leads to the feeling that you are not allowed to claim your own culture for fear of feeling inadequate and also because some people don't view those who don't speak Spanish as good representations of the Latina community. When someone feels picked apart for the way they participate in a language, it is hard to feel like you have any claim to that language and or culture. Even if there is an attempt at speaking Spanish, oftentimes Latinas are crit critiqued if their accent isn't right or if they can't roll their R's. But this argument largely ignores a whole group of people and identity that many Latinas claim. Latina people should not all be labeled Spanish speakers because some do not speak Spanish or English, but indigenous languages. Faulting someone for not speaking Spanish does not take into account the other sides of a Latina's identity. In his article titled, Latinxes Don't Need to Speak Spanish, Jack Herrera writes, After all, Spanish, like English, is a colonizing tongue. Today, across Latin America, millions instead primarily speak indigenous languages. He also says that in Mexico, over 280 native languages are spoken. In Paraguay, Guarani shares a status with Spanish as the official language. In Guatemala, people speak over 20 different Mayan languages. In northern Colombia, a village that was founded by escaped African slaves today speaks Palenquero, a blend of Portuguese and Kikongo, a Bantu language. Not only does judging someone for not speaking Spanish cause isolation, it also erases indigenous people from their own land. Both sides of my own family only speak English or Spanish because of the brutal colonization of our ancestors. And the Spanish language should hold no more power than indigenous languages do. Many Latinas in the U.S. also do not consider themselves to only be Latina. American identity is something many Latinas align themselves with. In her book, American Like Me, Reflections on Life Between Cultures, America Ferreira writes, Speaking Spanish at home, my mom's Saturday morning salsa dance party in the kitchen, and eating tamales alongside apple pie at Christmas do not in any way seem at odds with my American identity. Ferreira's quote perfectly sums up the way so many Latinas in the U.S. feel. To us, our Latina identity is a part of what it means to be American. We aren't just Latina. We find a balance between American culture and our family's culture. Language also isn't the only aspect of a culture. In Lorena Galderu's poem, Who Are Latinas?, she writes, I am more than a physical representation of a percentage and a cultural social assumption of my people. As Latinas, we are so much more than the stereotypes attached to us and the assumptions made about our race, cultures, and languages. It is assumed that Latines speak Spanish, but we are more than the languages people assume we should speak. Finding community with other Latinas can be challenging if you do not speak Spanish, but there are other ways to participate and claim your culture. As Willie Palomo says, when they cut out your tongue, find another way to pray. Language is important, but so are the traditions and practices your culture has. 
As Latinas who do not speak Spanish, we can participate in our culture through the delicious foods we make and eat, the holidays we celebrate, the music our people dance to, the books our communities write, traditional clothing, film, and the values and beliefs our elders pass down to us. Not speaking Spanish does not mean we don't have an impact on our communities as well. Just look at Selena Quintanilla, who did not speak Spanish growing up and was more comfortable speaking English, but still changed the music industry for Latinas all over the world. Or America Ferrero, who says her Spanish is not perfectly fluent, but she has still opened so many doors for Latinas in the film industry in terms of representation and her production company. Or Tessa Thompson, who does not speak Spanish, but represents Latinas in one of the biggest franchises in the world. At the end of the day, being Latina is not just about a language. It is about the communities and cultures that we hold dear and the impact they have had on us and will continue to have on future generations, regardless of what languages they speak. As the Yale professor Vivian Vasquez said, community is more about connection than it is about objectifiable characteristics. I may not be a perfect Spanish speaker yet, but I am without a doubt Latina. I hope after listening to this podcast, you have a deeper understanding of the Latina experience from the viewpoint of a Latina who does not speak Spanish. My name is Selena Rodas, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Thanks again to our students for being willing to share their work and contributing to this special episode. We hope you enjoyed this and are able to tune in to our next student episode as well. Beginning next week, we'll be back with fresh episodes by Rojo and myself. This season, we'll be focusing on contact about and by New York Latines. In the meantime, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts with us. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. Or if you prefer, our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family, and if you have a moment, please consider leaving a five-star review. Thanks for listening. Hasta la próxima.